0: How are you guys doing? A little gray out there today. You guys feeling it? Feeling a little gray? Um, I switched over. I've had seven cups of coffee, and now I'm going with Lacroix. So we'll see how this goes. Um, it is good to be with you guys. I know we got people watching online. We've had some technical challenges, um, but I think it's working out there. So um, shout out to the Robex. I think are watching. My mom is watching, obviously, uh, and uh, Maureen's out there hosting. So uh, thank you guys for joining us online. Thank you guys for those of you that are here uh, in person as well. Um, I just want to reiterate, um, in case you. We were just totally dazzled by Leanne's energy and singing announcements. Uh, next week, we're super excited because we're actually going to be launching South Hills Kids during both service times. So, if you guys are here, if you come to the 1030 because you specifically are looking for uh, childcare, care, um, we're excited to be able to help shift some of the balance of attendance between first and second service, kind of split the numbers a little bit more evenly and uh, create a little bit more space. So we're excited for that to launch next week. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Um, Mason, uh, my older son, I've got two two boys. Uh, I've talked about them plenty. Um, my uh, my older son was probably about six years old. We were walking. I picked him up from school. We were walking back to the car. And as we were walking, um, just kind of out of nowhere, he said, you know, um, Ethan's dad's car drives itself, which I took as a offense um, against my 2004 Scion. And I said, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, man. There's, there's some really cool cars out there. He's like, yeah, and then we've got this rust bucket. Uh, <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, so um, you know, I've, like I said, I've got two kids. Our personalities are super different, and um, and they they even kind of view and care about money in different ways. Our uh, five year old, his tooth came out. He lost his first tooth not too long ago, and the tooth fairy left him a dollar. And uh, the next day, he came out to the the living room and was like, mom. Dad, the tooth fairy came and I got a buck. Uh, and he was like so pumped, uh, whereas my nine-year-old just spends as much as he can, as fast as he can. Uh, my five-year-old pinned the dollar to a cork board in his room, and it's just like sitting there, like this little like, uh, like an award almost or something. Uh, it's crazy. Kids are crazy. They have these crazy perspectives. Um, I remember we, uh, it's probably two years ago now, I guess, we went to, uh, for my older son's birthday, we went to Great Wolf Lodge. Are you guys familiar with this place? It's like, an indoor water park slash bathtub slash like urinal like just this giant hundreds of people you feel the chlorine like burning your skin and you're not angry about it because you know you need it uh it's just a crazy little thing but we we didn't tell him where we were going and so we had him in the car we were driving and we pull up and there's this huge sign says great wolf lodge out front and he's just like are we going to great wolf lodge we're like yeah bud he's like are we rich and I was like, no, we're not rich. You know, it's just like this. But there's this perspective in his mind of like, this is amazing. Like, this is the craziest thing that could ever happen. I can't believe we're actually going to make it. And and I think there's this reality for a lot of us where this question, are we rich? Uh, we all probably would answer about as quickly as I did with my son. Like, no, we're not rich, you know. But this idea of being rich, um, we may not always feel like we are rich. But the reality is, is that many of us are. Uh, Most of us are. You know, as you talk about uh, rich, there's this idea of feeling rich and being rich. Um, And the reality is that when you start to compare and look at some of the realities, we recognize that we are incredibly um, blessed, is one way to put it. Wealthy is another. Rich is one. Um, I read this a couple weeks ago. If you make $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of earners in the world. Um, $37,000 a year, that's, that's pretty good. If you make $48,000 a year, that puts you in the top 1% of earners in the world. I mean, that's crazy. That's not that much money. But comparatively, there's this reality. And, and that's the interesting thing because we don't necessarily feel rich, but when you start talking about how it compares... Because rich is a little bit of a sliding scale. It, it's different uh, depending on your perspective, depending on on your view. You know, when my son asked me, like, are we rich? I was like, easily I can say no. But at the same time, uh, I never did anything like that when I was growing up. So compared to, like, my family life growing up, like, yeah, I, I, I guess we are. You know, like, that's a weird Perspective, but sure. Uh, I mean, he doesn't see my bank account, uh, but so he doesn't. You know, but there's this weird thing. In comparison to Bill Gates, no, we're not rich. Uh, in comparison to some people that live in our community, yeah. In comparison to other people that live in my community, no. You know, it's 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 a weird kind of perspective because what does rich mean? what does it take to be rich? Uh, They did a survey. They asked a bunch of people um, when they would consider, like how much they would need to make um, for them to consider themselves rich. So they asked people that made $30,000 a year and they said, how much would you need to make to to feel like you are rich? And they said, $60,000 a year, like twice as much. I would feel so rich. That would be a big game changer if you made 100% more money. They asked people that made $50,000 a year. They said, how much would you need to make if you, to, to consider yourself, to view yourself as rich? And the people that made $50,000 a year, they said, $100,000 a year. That is when I would feel rich. They asked people that made $100,000 a year how much they thought they would need to make to feel rich. Do you guys know how much they said? No. $500,000 a year. Yeah. They jumped a couple levels. Uh, There's this reality that, you know, wherever you are at, to the person that's making $30,000 a year, can you imagine how offensive it would be to be like, you think that $100,000 isn't rich? Like, there's this weird sliding scale. Like, how do you define rich? What does it mean? What do we talk about? And so there's this, this reality that we're talking about money today, which is everybody's favorite topic, but we're talking about it because money is not something that is a, a, a COVID problem. It's not something that's a 2020 problem. We all had to deal with money before. We had to deal with it during. We're gonna have to deal with it after. We talk about all kinds of different things because they are things that we all deal with. Uh, we talk about relationships because we all have to figure out how do we navigate and develop healthy relationships. We talk about forgiveness and grace because we have to learn what does it mean for me to accept grace and forgiveness in my life from God. We talk about all these different types of things all throughout the year and that's the same reason why we talk about money and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Some of us have had a healthy approach with our finances Uh, even before 2020 came along and the year wasn't a struggle, you know, there may have been some concern, but the floor didn't really fall out from underneath us. Some of us had a healthy approach in our finances. And, and even though we had a healthy perspective and maybe even savings and kind of a whole game plan in place, the challenges of 2020 came and just kind of destroyed what we had going on. It's kind of the difference between working like in the event industry and working for Clorox wipes, right? It's like you could have a, a, a great job either way, but last year just divided the room in a Really bizarre way. Some of us didn't really have a healthy approach to our finances, and 2020 just really kind of shined, shone, a spotlight, shoned, shined, shan. It shined a shanned is spotlight. Um, I'm not a uh, whatever. Um, there's this reality for us that it, it's not that COVID is the issue. It's that we've got to learn how to deal with our finances and handle money in a healthy way, in a realistic way. It's not that 2020 was the problem, although it was a problem. And so we've got to figure out what does this look like for us? As humans, how do we deal with this? Paul, the apostle Paul, he traveled around planting churches in different cities and different regions that had never heard the gospel. And one of the leaders that he put in charge of one of the churches was a, a guy named Timothy who was a young leader. And in First Timothy chapter 6, uh, Paul writes about this idea of money and how money and finances and wealth, it tends to be a trap for our hearts. And so this is what he says in First Timothy chapter 6, starting in Verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. Now, if you guys had read this verse this morning on your way in, you probably have been like, great, this passage isn't for me uh, because I'm not rich. I need at least 100% more income before I would consider myself. But there's this reality that we have to acknowledge that on some level, if you drove here in a car today, if you ate breakfast today, if you got to choose what you ate breakfast today, if you got to look in your closet and figure out what shirt and what pants and what shoes you wanted to put on, except the online viewers. I know you guys are still in your PJs. If you picked a pair of PJs to wear to church today, uh, there are the, there's this reality that for so many of us, and even those of us that feel like our finances are strained, do you know what? We also live in one of the most expensive areas to live in. So we might have strained finances, it might be tight, but also we live in this amazing place, in this amazing area. The reality is, is that Paul is writing about us. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. So right away, Paul acknowledges that money does something to us. Right away, Paul says money is going to do something, it has the potential to do something. So I want you to make sure that they know not to become arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. It makes us arrogant because we start to obsess over money out of pride. We start to look at our money and our finances in this way that says, well, you know, I earned it, I deserve it, I should be able to enjoy it, and I want to be able to keep up with what everybody else has and and all these types of things. And so there's there's this reality where he's saying, I don't want them to become arrogant, and there's a temptation to do that. But also, he says, I don't want them to put their hope in wealth, which I think is one of the bigger challenges that we have people obsess over money because we want security. And security is not a bad thing. I want you to be able to pay your rent this month. I want to be able to buy groceries for my family. Uh, th- having security, having a sense of being able to provide, that's that's a good thing. That's not a problem with wanting to be secure, but it's that's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying he, uh, that he doesn't want us to put our hope, our sense of security, our self-sufficiency in wealth. He doesn't want us to change the priority of where money sits. He doesn't say money is the problem. He's saying that sometimes we can put our hope in wealth, in finances. And since the beginning, humanity has had this struggle with our desire to be self-sufficient. We've always had this challenge. Even back in the garden, there was this temptation. And the temptation was really the sense of, Do you trust God to provide for you and give you what you need? Or do you think that he's holding something back from you that you should have? That's really what the temptation in the garden was. So since the beginning, there's been this invitation for us of, of, do I trust God? Do I believe he's going to provide for me? We don't want to have to rely on others. We don't want to have to rely on God. We We want to be able to handle it ourselves, to be our own source. And so for many of us, money financial security, wealth, it quickly becomes a substitute for God. We may have put our trust in God. We may have said yes to Jesus. We may be doing our best to be followers of Jesus and be full of love and grace and all these good things. And there's also this reality for us. It's like, and also I'm going to make sure that uh, if everything else fails, at least I'll have my money. At least I'll have my savings. At least I'll have my financial plan in place. And please don't hear, I'm not saying that you know, planning, that I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm saying that there's a challenge for us about where we are putting our hope, where we are finding our security. Verse 17, Paul continues, it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Hey guys, I was planning on talking about this weeks before this week happened. Uh, how many of you guys now know a lot more about stocks than you did last week? How many BuzzFeed articles about short stocks and all these? I mean, there's this reality. Everything this week, there was people that felt very secure financially, and this week shot that to pieces. There's this reality of what Paul's saying 2,000 years ago that is still completely true this week, and we all saw it. He's saying, don't uh, put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for your enjoyment. Richly provides us another reminder in the scripture, especially in the New Testament, in Paul's writings over and over and over again. He says, everything that you have is given to you by God. Everything is a gift from God. He is every good and perfect gift, it says in James, over and over, we're reminded of this thing. And he, and he doesn't say, just, I want you guys to remember that God is gonna make sure that, that you barely make it. You're gonna be okay. He says, God richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. There's a sense of goodness. I think it's important to note that what Paul is talking about here is not that money is bad. It's not that having a financial plan or savings or retirement or any of that kind of strategy, none of that is bad. That is all good. You should be wise with what you have. What he's saying is that hope and riches is not a problem, but hope in riches is a problem. Hope. And uh, financial stability, that's that's not a problem. That's a great thing. But when you start to put your hope in this place, when when this is the thing that gives you a sense of security and hope and meaning and purpose, and as long as this is here, everything will be fine, and I can be loving, and I can be a good father, and I can be you know—what whatever I need to be, as long as this is fine, as our hope is in riches, it becomes a huge challenge. And so Paul recognizes that, and he says, make sure that the people that have money, the people that are rich in this present world. They're not arrogant and that they don't put their hope in wealth. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be willing to share. And then he says, in this way, aka, like, when they do this, they will lay up treasures for themselves. So there's kind of like this investment idea already happening as a firm foundation, so there's like a stability and a security that starts to happen in the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life, which is kind of an interesting phrase. And, and I love uh, when even Jesus talked about this idea that uh, he said in John 10, that I've come to give life and life to the full, that you can be living, you can have life, and then also like feel kind of dead. You can feel like this isn't it. Like, this is, a, this is not what I expect. I kind of hope for more. I believe that there was more. And over and over again, we see this reality that there is. And Paul's saying, when they live this way, they are able to take hold of the life that is truly life, the sense that life, that there is a bigger reality, a bigger purpose. Paul is articulating what we know to be true deep down, which is that having a lot of money might bring you a sense of security for a moment, but we know that it could never fully provide or protect you from the realities of the world. There is always, and I'm not trying to be like a downer here, but give me like a, 10 seconds. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. At least I don't. There is just an unknown. Even with the bank account and the plan and the strategies and all of the things, there is just a level of unknown. And that what Paul is reminding us of is when we put our security and stability and our hope in the sense of what I have been able to plan and accomplish and what I have made, there is a danger that waits for us. But as we learn to handle our our money in a way that honors God, not only do we have enough to provide for ourselves, but also to care for others. And that is where we start to experience what Paul described as life that is truly life. Over the years, I've had to change some of the things, most of the things. Uh, in the way that I approached finances, I didn't really learn how to handle finances in a great way when I was younger. And then, uh, like some of you guys, when you turn 18 and you go to Target and you buy something, like, hey, you want a credit card? We'll give you like a half percent off of your purchase today if you sign up for this $7,000 limit credit card. It like, seems like a financially sound decision to me. Uh, that worked out well, uh, but then there was this journey of learning, like not only how to deal with credit card and debt, but then also budgets and planning and savings and and what all of these different aspects. It was a really difficult journey. I spent a long time trying to figure that out, and I'm still trying to figure it out. In a lot of ways, we've had to make some adjustments. I've had to make some adjustments in the way that I handled this thing. To what Paul said to be to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous meant that at times I've had to give up lifestyles uh, that caused me to have to live in debt, to have to use my credit card to pay for some of the things so that I could keep this lifestyle up. It's meant that at times I've had to kind of get rid of certain possessions that I did not need. This week I went to get a shirt out of my drawer. I've got a t shirt drawer. It's like, Wider than this little table, uh, and I went to pull it out, and I couldn't open it because there was so many T-shirts in there. Guys, I could wear a different T-shirt every day for the next three months, uh, and it was like this weird, embarrassing. There was nobody in there, but I was like, "This is too many shirts. Like, I hope nobody sees how many shirts I have. It's ridiculous. I don't need that many shirts." You think I'm ridiculous too, as? My wife, what do you know? She knows how many shirts are in there. She's she's letting me know. i got to thin it out, but that's not just in my shirt drawer. That's just kind of everything. There's this reality that sometimes we have to make these adjustments in order to be healthy, in order to be able to do the things that God's calling us to do. It's like, well, I can't just live in debt, and I can't just count on debt to carry me through. I can't just continue taking and taking and hoarding stuff and possessions and accumulating things. Sometimes it means we have to change our schedule around because he tells us to to do good and to be rich in good deeds, the way we show up and serve and care for others. And so it's times I've had to make adjustments to my schedule and, and things like that. It, it means I've had to put some systems in place to deal with debt, to figure out a budget, to stick to it. Uh, we talked about this series, uh, the New Normal series. We talked about it and planned it last at the end of last year, and we're like, "Hey, man, wouldn't it be so great?" Because the reality is, is that 2020 was crazy, and and finances were challenging and weird, and 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 it was just like an interesting time. Everybody kind of paid attention to what was happening in a different way. And we're like, what if we took one of these weeks, because we've talked about relationships and faith and change. We've talked about rest and Sabbath and how we manage our time. What if we took one of these weeks and and talked about how do we build healthy financial habits? And then we started to realize, like, I don't know if we can do that in one week. And so um, we kind of made a course correction. And I can't, I mean, you guys are going to be so excited about this. In the month of March, we're going to spend four weeks talking about money. I think we have a slide. I don't know if you guys can see that. We're doing a series called "In God We Trust," and it's a four-week series about finances. I know. Please hold the applause. Uh, I, yeah, just keep it down. We're going to be talking about this because we've got to figure out how do we build finances, how do we how do we manage this in a healthy way. But I also know that at the church, it's difficult to talk about finances because everybody thinks like well, that's all they ever talk about. All they ever talk about is money. They just want our money. They just want us to tithe. They're going to talk about finances because they want us to tithe. It's, it's, it's this challenging conversation. And so this whole series that we're going to do in March, uh, we're not going to talk about tithing once. No applause for that either? I no, just kidding. No, we want to talk about it because the reality is we've got to figure out how do we do, how do we handle this stuff in a healthy way that honors God, in a biblical way. And so we're going to spend time talking about that. Uh, some people, maybe we're, we're launching Financial Peace University, which is a course if you want to learn how to handle savings and planning and retirement and buying a home and investing and uh, getting out of debt or whatever, whatever these types of things is, Financial Peace University is a nine-week course. Um, there's an online version of it starting this week, and in the in-person version starts uh, the week of the 14th. Um, you guys can sign up for that. You can text uh, SH Connect to 94000 if you guys want interest uh, information on that. But um, so we're going to be talking about money in uh, in March. And so today, what I wanted to do is I wanted to consider Paul's warning about the effects that money and finances can have on our hearts, and I want to look at it specifically through giving, because I'm not going to talk about it in March. See it no. So that's what we're doing. We've got ten minutes left. Uh, Paul writes about this idea. He says, "Warn those who are rich to not become arrogant, to not put their hope in wealth." And I think that the reality is is that one of the biggest challenges that I have had is this desire for self sufficiency. One of the biggest challenges that I've had in my faith is the the balance that I have between wanting to trust God and rely on God and also wanting to make sure that I've got everything taken care of. That who really is in charge? Who really is providing? And what does this look like? It's an ongoing journey of intentionality, trying to figure that out. And so as I talk about tithing, when I talk about generosity, when I talk about giving, for me personally, I want to just share with you guys what has been most helpful for me. And it is this. When I think about tithing, when I think about generosity, when I think about giving, the reason why it helps me so much and the lens that I look through it is it as a reminder giving as a reminder because I have this faulty belief that what I have is mine, that everything that I have, I have earned. I have made it. I have created it. It is somehow this process. And and all throughout the scripture, we are told over and over again that everything we have, including the gifts and the abilities and the passions and the skills to earn money, all of that is a gift. And we're called to trust God with all of that. And oftentimes when we start to find some sense of security, some foundation, we start to forget the reality that God is the one that is truly providing for us. In Deuteronomy 16, we're not going to look at it, but this is one of the first passages that it talks about tithing in the scripture. You guys can read it if you want. But essentially, he's instituting this idea of tithing for the Israelites because they've come out of slavery where they didn't get to own anything. They didn't get to accumulate anything. They had to rely on each other and uh, Egypt for everything that they had. They're coming out, they're in the wilderness for a season, and then they're moving into the promised land. And this idea of tithing is instituted to be a reminder to say, hey, don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget that God helped provide, care for, lead you out of all of the challenges that you have had, and everything that you have along the way is a gift from God. It was, it was given and implemented as a reminder for them to not count on their stuff, but to continue to rely on God. None, none of their stuff is what helped them find freedom. None of their stuff is what helped them make it to the promised land. It was this journey with God. And not only that, but in that same passage, it talks about tithing. It specifically talks about the way that we also care for each other, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the the people that don't have enough. So it's this sense of, I have cared for you, and now I want you to care for others, which is what Paul is echoing. I have to regularly remind myself and when I give, it is another reminder that it's not money that has saved me. It is not money that has provided for me. It is not money that has given me a sense of security, although that has happened at times. But it needs to be anchored in something greater. I heard one pastor say it this way. He said, I will not trust in riches, but in God who richly provides. It's understanding like, yes, be intentional, be intentional. Be wise, save, invest, plan, all of these things and make sure that that doesn't get elevated in an unhealthy way above your trust in and your hope in God. So we've got to start to balance these things out because if it were just up to me, I would still have my Target credit card. I'm just kidding. I mean, I would, don't get me wrong, but Target is great. I think sometimes people try and make it seem like Women are the only ones that enjoy Target, but Target is phenomenal. It's like, it's not like a, a woman thing. It's a great place. There's so many things at Target. Um, I've got to learn the reality that if it's just up to me to prioritize how I use my money, arrogance and security will be the driving force every single time. If it's just up to me, it'll be about accumulating, using for myself and being as safe and secure as possible. That's going to be it. And so what happens is we're called to be generous and to care and to give to people that are in need. And that doesn't work with my own plan. It's backwards. Jesus told a parable. It was in the gospel. It's, it's labeled this, this part of the story. This parable is called the parable of the rich fool. And the Cliff Notes version of this parable is there's a man who owned all of these fields and he had these barns and he would go and he would harvest and he would put the harvest in the barns season after season after season. season. And in one year, his harvest was just like insane. It was so much. He had more than he ever had before and his barns weren't big enough to hold it. He had always had enough for what he needed, but he was trying to figure out, man, what do I do with all of this extra that I have? And so he tore down the barns and he built bigger ones. He's like, great, I'll just save this stuff too. And Jesus, in this story, he talks about He says, this is the wrong way to deal with this. Hoarding and finding a sense of security and saving this for yourself, ultimately all of that harvest was going to there's no way he could have even used it all. It would have gone bad. There's this reality that we all have this tendency to continue to hold on to and to find this ability to find safety. When our goal is to accumulate wealth only, or to build safety only, or to maintain control of our own destiny through our finances only, we are naturally going to avoid giving. Because giving to someone else means that it's going to take me longer to achieve my goal. But there's an invitation for us to find a sense of security and hope in God and to handle our money in a different way. Earlier we talked about the, the challenge of defining the word rich, this sliding scale, this moving target. I think it's also difficult to try and define the word generous. Because what does it mean? Like, is there, a, is there an equation that says, like, okay, this is generous? Is there a way to figure that out? It's, it's kind of a moving target. It's difficult. Even uh, Jesus, when he's with the religious leaders of the day and they're watching this uh, this service going on and this old woman, this old widow comes up and she gives, it's called the widow's mite, and she puts it in this offering. And Jesus shows the, the religious leaders and he's like, that woman gave more than anybody else. This one tiny coin was this insane, generous act. Nobody Really consider themselves to be rich, but we all tend to think of ourselves as fairly generous, but it's a sliding scale. So, uh, with my last couple minutes here, I just want to talk through the ways that I've been able to start to process through this in my own life. And if it's helpful for you, I would love for you guys to use it. Uh, but I want to try and just give you guys some personal examples of this, um, not because I've figured this out or I've conquered all. A lot of these are examples of how I've learned through Mistakes, which is tends to be like 90 10 in my life, like 90% mistake learning, and 10% like, Oh, I, I think I accidentally got that one right that time. So, uh, but there's these three words that have been used uh, to help kind of shape our, our process priority, percentage, and progressive. The uh, first one is priority, and priority says, Not it's not about okay, I'll give when something happens, when I have enough, when I reach this amount. But it's this idea of I'll give now. I'm going to make this a priority. When Ez and I first got married, it was almost 14 years ago. And uh, and we were just figuring it out. We had so little, yet so much in our hearts. So much love uh, filled our tiny apartment. Uh, And we knew some people in that time that were like very, very successful and had tons and tons of money. and, And we would often say things to each other like, man, I would be the best rich person. Like if I had a million dollars, I would be like the best millionaire. I would be so generous. I would be, and uh, if you guys grew up in church, you may have heard this phrase before. If you didn't grow up, it may not be funny to you, but uh, we would say things like, test me, Lord, test me. Just see what I would do with a million, see how generous I would be. If I had a million dollars, I would give money to people. I would be so kind. And then after about a year or so of kind of like talking and joking and also secretly being like, seriously, though, if you want to test me, like we could try it out. But after about a year, my wife finally was like, you know what? I think that I think in a way he is testing us. He gives us everything that we need. And are we being generous with what we have? It may not be generous from a millionaire's perspective, but. We can still be generous. We can we can give now. We can make it a priority. It's not that I will be generous and kind and amazing when I have all this money. It's that I can start now. I can make this a priority now. Make giving, tithing, generosity, good deeds, make it a priority. So priority is the first word. The second one is percentage. Percentage. Um, the Bible talks about tithing. Tithe, the word tithe means a tenth. Again, this comes from an, uh, an agrarian society. So we're talking about harvests. We're talking about you know how uh, productive your camels were that season or whatever it was in that system. So everybody would kind of bring this tenth. They would bring a percentage of what they had uh, grown or harvested or made that season. And it's an interesting thing because all of a sudden it levels the playing field. Because it's not saying everybody has to give 100 camels just bear with me on the camel example, It's saying, hey, you need to give a tenth of the camels. You need to give a tenth of the crops. You need to give a tenth. So whatever it is, it's this level that we all get to play in. Um, I read uh, last year, Jeff Bezos, I don't know if you guys know who that is. You guys know who Jeff is? He delivers all my Amazon packages for me. Uh, and um, he committed to giving 10 billion with a B 10 billion dollars to this charity. That's amazing. Like I read that and I was like that is ins- that is so much money. Test me, Lord. No, I was kidding. Uh that is a lot of money. That is unbelievable. The impact. And then in the article as I kept re- reading it said he made personally 10 billion dollars in the first 5 weeks of the year. And I was like that's also amazing. Test me. No, i was kidding. But it was was this crazy thing because $10 billion, from my perspective, is this amazing amount of, it's unbelievable. I can't even imagine. And I'm sure it felt like a lot of money for him to give it too. But it's just an interesting thing when you start to realize, okay, if I'm just committing to give a certain amount, that might feel like incredibly generous. It might feel like not that generous. But when we start to say, okay, what does it look like for me just to give a percentage, regardless of what I make, regardless of what I have, I'm gonna say, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you with this percentage because when I do this, I'm gonna make it a priority. And also, it's going to remind me to rely on you, to trust that you are my provider. Scriptures talk about this. It's never an invitation to give a certain dollar amount because it's not about a dollar amount, it's about trusting and remembering that God is our provider. The third one, the third word is progressive. As uh, my wife and I, we started to learn how to tithe and to become pretty consistent with it, and actually tithe 10%. It was like this long journey of trying to get there and figure out how do we work our budget around that. It's a difficult thing. I don't, in any way, want to make it seem like it's this easy, like switch that you can just flip. It's a difficult challenge. But as we got there, um, I think the first couple of paychecks was like, "Are we going to make it? Are we going to have enough?" And the craziest thing was that we always did. We always had enough. And not actually enough, we actually still had more. It was bizarre. We ended up still continuing to have more. And and so there was people that we knew that were in need, and we were able to actually do things for them. One of our closest friends, I remember, we were able to give her a computer, and it was just like this. That was the first time that I was like, we had tithed, and we had kind of figured out how to live with this money, and then we also had this ability to give this gift, and it was like the most thrilling thing to be able to care for somebody that way. It was thrilling. It's the only word I can really think of of how to describe it. we give to friends. Uh, my brother was a missionary overseas in Nepal for a number of years. We were able to give and help support him and his family financially. There was uh, organizations locally that we cared about. We were able to give there. You guys have done this same thing here you guys have said, hey, we're going to give above and beyond when we got this building that we get to enjoy this parking lot of. Uh, so many of you guys gave above and beyond to say, hey, we want to make sure that we get to have this space. We want to get to have this home. And, and people gave above and beyond. Just a few weeks ago, we we invited people to consider helping us close the gap that we had in our budget at the end of the year. And people gave above and beyond this progressive reality when we give to beyond our walls, it's, it's above and beyond the tithe. It's this ability that we have to say, hey, when we give, it's going to help go to local outreach and global outreach. It's going to go help plant new churches and different communities and, and all of these different things. And even in, in ways that feel small, but they're really, we know that they have big impact I remember we were probably only married for about two and a half years and we were kind of on this journey of, of making a priority and tithing. And then we we're like, okay, well, what else can we do? And there was a, a food pantry. We lived in the Midwest at the time. There was a food pantry that was always in need of resources. And so we said, Hey, what if every time, like, what if we, whatever we spent on groceries, what if we bought that same dollar amount of groceries and donated it to the food pantry? And, uh, I always have the great ideas, but I have no idea how to make them work. <laughs> I was like, "What if we do this with all of our money?" And my wife's like, "With what money? I'm like, what is a how? What plan do you have here for this?" Uh, but we talked about it and we looked at it, and we were able to still like do that. We did that for about a year and a half with this local food pantry, which is this crazy thing. I don't say any of that to brag because we've screwed up a million times. I say that because it was thrilling, and the only way that I can say that in a different way, a different Language is when Paul writes that it's in this way that you can take hold of life that is truly life. The sense that what I am doing, what I get to be a part of, what I am participating in is amazing. It's not just that I have enough. It's that I get to help paint this beautiful picture for what it looks like to be the body of Christ I get to care for people in my church family I get to care for people in my community in my neighborhood so it says priority percentage and progressive priority when we make it a priority it fights against arrogance because it says it's not about me it's not about what I think I deserve or what I want to do or how I want to look or or all these things I'm going to make it a priority to give when we look at the, this idea of percentage and we give a percentage, it directs our hope. Instead of our hope being in how much we're able to accumulate and the excess that we get to save and stand on so we can feel secure, it's saying, I'm going to give a percentage and I'm going to continue to put my hope in Christ that he is my ultimate provider. And then this word progressive, when we start to give in a progressive way, it is thrilling. It is the life that is truly life. And Paul didn't command us to do this because he wanted our money or because God needs our money. He did it because he wanted us, he, he didn't want our money to have us. He wanted us to be able to live in a way that was secure, stable, healthy, and also that we weren't being controlled by our financial situations. It's perfect timing with the airplanes. Paul wanted us to live and experience and say, it's not that money is wrong. He said in verse 10, the, the, money is, uh, the love of money is the root of evil. There's this invitation to experience that we can, we can handle money in a healthy way, but money does not have to handle us. It doesn't have to control us. And that's the invitation that we have today, for our hearts to find a sense of freedom and life that is truly life through how we serve the way that we do good to those around us, to the way that we are generous and willing to share. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today and I hope that I get to see you soon.